Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. Hey, welcome to Christ Church. My name is Mark. I'm one of the ministers here, and, and we're glad you're with us in this series. We're going through the Gospels, taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and bringing them together and uh, telling the story of Jesus the best we can in the order we assume it may have happened. Uh, I need you to open your Bibles to John chapter 4, and uh, uh, keep that open. If you have your Bibles or your apps, whatever you're using to look at the text this morning, keep it open. We're going to be in it all morning long, bouncing in and out of it as we walk through this engagement. It happens to every one of us, no matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert, no matter if you're a person that can't get enough of being with people and you're energized by that, or if you're on the other side of the aisle where you're a person, you enjoy people, but you also need time to decompress and to think. I I read a meme online that made me laugh. It said, I don't want to be alone. No one does, but I want to be left alone. Does anybody else relate to that? Am I the only person? Okay, good. So what we're going to see is that in life, when life gets hard, we all have a way of compensating. We all have a way of decompressing or processing, whatever term you want to use, poster or pre. Uh, When you look at all of that, we all have moments where we just have to get away. And we're going to meet someone today who engaged Jesus in a moment that she really just wanted to be left alone. It's one of those passages of scripture, if you've attended church for any length of time, you probably have heard a message on this particular text, but I want you to treat it with fresh eyes. I'm not going to try to to say something no one else has said, but I want us to look at the text for what it says and then draw some conclusions from it. This is a moment where uh, a woman desires to just be left alone and every choice she makes has the sign across her body that says, do not disturb. And what does Jesus do? when he encounters her. You see, what I want you to walk away with this morning, as Sarah said a little bit earlier, is when we realize the presence and grace of Jesus, we will find nothing more compelling than to pursue him with our everything. When we understand the grace and presence of Jesus, we will desire nothing more than to draw closer to him and closer to him and be with him. It'll cost us our everything and we'll desire nothing but that. John chapter four, verse five. Let's read through Uh, Verse 16. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now I want you to notice as we read this, John will parenthetically give us some insight as he tells the story or retells it. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How did you ask me for, or how can you ask me for a drink? Once again, John says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water dwelling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. 
he told her, go, call your husband and come back. And we'll pause the story there. There's two points I want to make this morning as we think about, as we get to know the grace and presence of Jesus, we will be compelled to, with our everything to draw close to him. The first thing I want you to understand, and this will be universal throughout our study of the gospel, the presence of Jesus reveals our condition. We're going to learn this over and over and over. When we become in the presence of Jesus, we will realize, A, we're not him. And B, we should be like him. The presence of Jesus draws us in. It doesn't repel us. It, it either, it will because of our soul cause us to walk away, but it will always invite us to stay and come closer. The scenario that takes place in this engagement is it's about noon in the heat of the day. Now, cultural studies will tell us that the women of the community went to draw water at the well each morning. It was their job to have water at the house so they would go into the well, and normally, sometime between 6 to 7 in the morning, all the women would gather. It would be a coffee shop environment. They would all fill their water, catch up on one another, and they'd carry water back to the village. Well, it's noon, and she didn't go when all the other women went, and we should learn something from that. She seems to be avoiding, and so she is going when no one else is going to be there. She comes upon the well, and she sees a man there. Now, even though she wants to be left alone, she realizes this is no problem because in that culture, a man would not speak to a woman in public that wasn't his wife. And so she goes closer to the well and realizes, well, this isn't a a deal because he's not going to say anything. And then he does. And he startles her. He says to her, would you give me a drink? And she's taken by that. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't move us when we read it because we'll engage people. You walk through uh, Walmart anytime you want or any grocery store and someone sees you. You're doing all right? I'm doing all right. And we just move on. We engage each other socially. It's a part of our culture. If you walked by somebody in the same Walmart and said, you're doing all right, and they just looked at you and ran away screaming, you would probably go, wow, that was weird. <laughs> when she walked up to the well to draw water and Jesus said, would you give me a drink? She thought, wow, that's weird. See, a Jewish man would never speak to a Samaritan woman, and we roll our eyes and go, well, that's ridiculous. Really? Because 50 or 60 years ago in our country, you couldn't drink out of a water fountain someone else might have. You couldn't order food in a restaurant that a certain color of people ordered. You couldn't stay in hotels if you weren't the right kind of person. The same ignorance, the same arrogance was in Jesus' day as it was in ours, and still is, unfortunately, in ours. And so in this moment, Jesus says, would you give me a drink? And he realizes that by speaking to her, if anyone saw him speaking to her, they would judge his reputation. They would judge his character. They would judge his morals. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus cares more about hurting people than he does judgmental people. In fact, he has no time for judgmental people. If you want to know why the soft, meek, and mild Jesus called the Pharisees a pack of snakes... It's because he didn't have time for people who judged the worth of another individual. He only cared about the hurting people. And he asked for a drink of water, which is interesting because he's at a well. He's walked most of the day. He's tired. The disciples went into town to get some food. Jesus sat there by the well and he obviously was thirsty, but he didn't carry a bucket with him. So when she walks up, he says, would you give me a drink? Because she has a bucket to draw from. But water throughout the scriptures is symbolic or a metaphor for life. If you study the, our country, you'll know that our great cities are always fashioned near water. We have very few major cities. I was thinking earlier, there might be a few. Vegas would be one of them, but I'm not sure we want to count that. But our major good cities, healthy cities, 
were all founded when our country was founded around water. Without water, you can't have civilization. Everyone needs water, and large groupings of people need large bodies of water. Water was essential. So when Jesus asked her for a drink of water, he's using an Old Testament imagery. In fact, it goes all the way back to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 55. Listen to these words. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Wow. The prophet said that the Messiah would come and and he would offer what you needed at no cost to you and all cost to him. He goes on to say, give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Jesus uses this metaphor. When he says, give me a drink, he knows why she's coming. He knows when she shows up at noon that she's hurting, that she's struggling. Her condition, she is a mess. Growing up and reading this text, I had the false assumption or preconceived notion that this was a loose woman, that she was a tramp, that she was a sleep around to get around woman. And then I did my study, and I I went to a Christian college where my gospels professor corrected my assumptions and said, I don't know where you see that. You can read that into it, but it's not there. You see, what I want us to know is it wasn't laziness that motivated her. She didn't sleep in until 11 and think, oh, I better go get water. Now, she chose to come when she knew nobody in their right mind would come. She chose to show up when she knew nobody would judge her, that, that she would... She didn't have to go to the well and have the other women whispering or talking about her behind her back or ignoring her like she didn't matter. This woman was hurting. She, was, had, she had pain, frustration, and disappointment. And she faced this every day. Every single day she faces this. And Jesus says to her, draw me a drink. And she said, how are you talking to me? You, this, you're not supposed to do this. You're supposed to be too good for me. And then he says to her, Go get your husband. You can imagine her, her soul drop to the pit of her stomach and that feeling you get when something is going to become really hard. And he says to her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know you don't. He, he tells her that. Look at verse 17. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband, What you have just said is quite true. Yikes. That's mean, right? Jesus is just, he's picking on her. He's making fun of her. He's degrading her. No, he's not. And let me tell you why I don't believe he is. Because Jesus cares about the hurting. Jesus is moved with compassion toward those who have real needs. See, here's the one thing I'll tell you about this woman. Did you know a woman couldn't get a divorce in that culture? She could only be divorced. Five different men dumped her. Five different men threw her out. Five different men disowned her. The sixth man she's living with is using her, but he won't even commit to her. Yeah, he might be giving her food and shelter, but he's using her and he won't commit to her for some selfish reason. And when Jesus says, go get your husband, he pokes at the one thing he knows about her. Now, how he knew about it must be the God part of him because he'd never met her before. But he draws her close and he says to her, I know. And she says to him, if you can draw this water, then teach me, give me this water so I never have to come back to this again. Do you see her heartache and her pain? 
Do you feel the fact that every day she wakes up being that woman who did that thing, who lives in that environment, who ought to know better? And every day she says, if there's any other way than me having to go through this every day, would you let me have an out? And doesn't that remind you of Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane? When he said to his father, is there any other way I can save the world but going through what you're asking me to go through? Is there any other way I don't have to drink this cup? And God said, no. But the beautiful part of this story is Jesus has a solution for her. She says, is there any other way than going through what I go through every day? And he says, yeah. He says, I understand what you're going through. You see, her mistaken identity was that she was all sin and nothing good. No man would keep her. Nobody in society would own her. Socially and societally, she was empty and broken and bitter. And here's the truth. In a room this size, the number of people sitting in this room right now, I I learned a term this morning. Sherry Everett shared something with me. It's called smiling depression. There's a real term for people who fake it, who are just like this woman, who go day in and day out, you hate to go into public settings, and when you have to, you smile, and people say, how are you? You're like, I'm good, how are you? Deep down inside, you're like, leave me alone. I hate loneliness, but I hate being around my sin. I hate being around my failure. I hate being around what I think people think of me, and I live in this wall, and it says, do not disturb, leave me alone. And here is good news that sounds like bad news. Jesus won't. He will not leave you alone because he knows who you are. He knows what you're able to become. He knows what he can bring you. He has a cup of living water and all you have to do is ask for it. And he will restore life and hope when you see none. Jesus did not disqualify this woman because of her past. He just wanted her to be honest about her past. You see, the grace of Jesus reveals our condition. It reveals that we need him. And the grace of Jesus, secondly, reveals our purpose. Not only does it show us who we are, he knows. It shows us how we live because he knows. How do things change? Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. I don't know. You can smile here. I know it's a little intense in the room right now. But this is the moment she goes, I think you're pretty smart. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now that seems like a change of subject matter, doesn't it? You ever been getting on your kids over something like, hey dad, look. (laughs) Stop it. We're going to finish this conversation. Is that what she's doing? Jesus is like, hey, go get your husband. She's like, oh, hey, look, a bird. And he's like, nah, sweetheart, we're not going to do that. But she says to him something that always confused me. She says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Oh, she's going back to the Jew-Samaritan thing. Well, you people say we have to do it this way. You say we have to go to Jerusalem. And and our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And we think, is she changing the subject? Let me ask you two questions. I know you won't answer me because I'm used to this church. But anyway, just play along like you're interested. Here's the first question. What do you do at the temple? Process with me. When she brings up the temple... What did the temple mean to people? What do you do at a temple? You sacrifice. Why do you sacrifice? Because you're a sinner. So when she says to Jesus, after he points out the fact that she's been abandoned, broken, she's desperate, do not disturb. She says, where am I supposed to worship? Here's what I hear. 
I have no people. I have no place. This is no life. I can't be in public because I'm that woman. I'm that guy. I did that thing. I have no place for my sin. I have no place for my sacrifice. I have no place for my hope. Jesus responds. Verse 21. Believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. I want you to, if you have your physical Bible and you allow yourself to write in it, which I think you can, I want you to look at verse 22 with me and I want you to see a key word in it. It's the word from. For salvation is from the Jews. Listen to me carefully. Salvation was not for the Jews. It was for all mankind. It's from the Jews. And when Jesus said to her, woman, a time is coming when you will worship. She's saying, I have no people. I have no place. I have no hope. I'm not even living. He said, there is a day when you will worship. And it won't be about a location. It'll be about a presence. There will be a day when when God will give you the ability to worship fully in the spirit of Christ and in the truth of Christ. Because salvation is from the Jews. You see, Jesus came to change the message. The world thought they heard God say that the Jews were the only ones that mattered. And God never said that. God said the Jews would be the one that would introduce the world to what I'm going to do. From the Jews. Not for the Jews. Verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. I want you to notice in verse 23, again, if you write in your Bibles, there's a passage I have circled in mine that I think is instructive to help you remember this when you read it. It says here that, Uh, For they are the kind of worshipers. At the end of verse 23, the Father seeks. I don't think I'll say anything more important today from this text for my soul than this part right here. God is after you. You don't have to go after him. This is not a spiritual game of tag where God sent Jesus down to touch you and then run away and you have to catch him and tag him back. Most of us have made religion just that, haven't we? Jesus came, he freed us from our sins, now he's hiding, and we spend the rest of our life trying to do the best we can to find him again. And this is just not true. He says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the apostle Paul wrote, right? And John says, for God so loved the world, before we did anything, before we earned anything, before we even knew we needed him, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. He sent Jesus into a world that didn't know Jesus mattered. And then when Jesus showed up, a woman like this, in the most desperate of conditions, sees who he is, and she's like, whoa, there's something different about him. He's treating me unlike anything anyone's ever treated me like before. And for many of us in this room, we know that to be true, don't we? That when Jesus should walk away from us and say, tag, you're it. He pursues us every day. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God is not lost. We are. God is always 
where he's always been. He's always with us. His presence is speaking to us. Jesus said, I'm leaving so that the spirit will come and bring conviction and bring truth and bring glory and bring understanding. And I need all of those. How about you? God is after us. And if you'll just slow down to pay attention, you'll find out he is pursuing you and he always will. And the second thing we need to understand in verses 25 and 26 is a wonderful moment. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Oh my goodness. Did you hear what she just said? Us. She has hope. She had, hope, she had no hope for her lifetime. But she had hope for a better day when the Messiah would come. She knew what the scripture said. She knew the heart of God. She knew that he was sending someone for them. And she said, and when he comes, he's going to include me. Nobody includes me. But he does. Boy, that's good news. And then Jesus declares something. I want you to notice this. This is the first time he'll say this publicly. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. How many times did Jesus tell people, hey, I'm him, don't tell anybody? He looks at this woman and he says, it's me. She already knew that. She knew when he started telling her her story. She's like, it's got to be him. And he's like, yeah, it's me. And you know what's beautiful about that? This is a woman nobody talked to. And Jesus told her the most powerful truth in the world. And it would change the way she lived. Because when she knew who he was, the woman who had the do not disturb sign across her entire life took it off. And she went to become a disturbance. She went to go tell the story. See, Jesus didn't give her an obligation. He just gave her his presence. And she understood it. David Earhart, one of our elders, reminded me this morning in the hallway a wonderful truth. Did you know that Jesus gave the first testimony of who he was publicly to a woman whose voice could not be heard in society? She couldn't give testimony in, in a court of law. Jesus is coy. He basically said, I'm going to give you something that's going to change your world and change your friend's world, but no one else is going to believe you, so knock yourself out. And don't many of us feel that way? That we have a message of who Christ is and some, some of the people we love the most won't even give us an audience. They won't let our testimony ring, but what are we supposed to do anyway? Go and tell. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, and I could preach on this for the next 30 minutes, but the elders won't let me, so I'm going to be quick. What did she go to the well for? Water. You think she was thirsty in the heat of the day? I think she was thirsty. What did Jesus say? If you drink what I'm giving you, you'll never be thirsty again. When she found out who Jesus was, what did she do? She left her water jar. She wasn't thirsty anymore. Now, I'm a lazy dog. If I'd have carried the water jar that far, I would have carried it the first time I went back, not the third time I went back. But anyway, she was passionate. Does it show you that when you understand who Jesus is, some of the most valuable things you spend your life on aren't that valuable anymore? She went back to the town and she said to the people who wouldn't listen to her before and ignored her and didn't care about her, she went back to those people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Love that. A woman who hid her pain and her sin now says, this man told me everything I ever did and he loved me. He didn't judge me. He loved me. He offered me hope. He gave me purpose. And he told me when I said to him, the Messiah is coming for us. And he said, I know, and I'm here. 
I want to close this morning by taking you through something. That's why I want you to have your Bibles open. I want to show you the progression of her faith. Look with me at verse 9. I want you to notice how she refers to Jesus. In verse 9, she calls him a Jew, not a compliment. You're on the other side of the aisle. We have nothing in common. You're them, and I'm we. And she calls him a Jew. In verse 11 and verse 15, she refers to him as sir. She begins to pay respect to him. She honors him as an honorable man. That was not a term that would have been used lightly. In verse 19, she calls him a prophet. She's like, I think you're from God. I think you're bringing me a message from my father. When we hear Jesus' voice and we read Jesus' words, we should hear the voice of the father who sent him to say these things. And then in verses 25 and 29, she calls him Messiah. He says, I know the Messiah is coming. She said, is he the Christ? Notice what happened. He went from just a guy to a respectable teacher, to a voice of God, to our hope. And when you get there, then you understand the gospel. See, this is not just wise wisdom to be put out on the internet at the bottom of your email or on Twitter. Jesus has words of life, words that satisfy our deepest cravings, our deepest thirst, our deepest hungers. I wonder what, what she felt like when Jesus said, I'm, I'm he. And she took off, leaving her valuables behind. She took off back toward the city that rejected her and she shared her story. And she said, come and see. I wonder what her heart felt like. I wonder how quick the do not disturb sign was ripped off and torn up. I wonder how she lived the next day in that town. I wonder if she showed up at six o'clock with a bucket for water. I wonder if when someone said, hey, how was your day? She told him because she knew this. He loved me. He truly loved me. He cared about me. When you and I realize the presence and grace of Jesus, we will find nothing more compelling than to pursue him with everything we have. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.